Well, we finished up our, our uh, journey through the Temple on the Mount, and now Jesus is coming down off the mountaintop experience he's had. I don't know if you've ever done that, where you've, you've just had a really great experience doing whatever it is that, that gets you excited, like maybe camping for some people or going on a vacation or something, and then you always got to come home again and go back to regular life and work and and it's almost like that's what Jesus is doing here. He's, he's had this great experience preaching to all these people, and now he's got to come back down off the mountain. And the first thing that happens is he runs into a guy with leprosy. And, and this is the... When you think of leprosy, like we think of leprosy in the modern world as a specific disease. Like cause, we, we know the causes, we know what... But leprosy in the Bible is like a general term. So any sort of skin problem that's a major skin problem would be called leprosy in the Bible. So it could be all sorts of things. But he meets this guy that has some sort of skin problem and the guy comes to Jesus and he, and he doesn't say, listen Jesus, if you can, will you help me out? Because he already knows that Jesus can help. Jesus has been doing healings like people have seen Jesus, we, we haven't heard any stories in this in Matthew yet about it. He just tells us that Jesus has been going around doing these things. So he's heard about this, that Jesus can do this stuff, and he, he trusts that he can. What he says is, if you want to, I know you can help me, if you want to. And this is, this is a, a personal message to me, because this is something that I've struggled with you know, through the years. As, a, as coming to know Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever wondered if God actually wants to help you. Because I've thought that in the past. Does God really want to help me? Like, I, am I, I know I'm not worthy. I know I'm not good enough. But like, I think sometimes I've felt like I was just so bad that God didn't want to help me. Like I was just, because you know, I've done so much that I knew better that I shouldn't have done. I knew better. And they did it anyway. Like a lot of people will talk of their sin as if they, they screwed up and made a mistake. And a lot of times I thought of my sin as, it's not a mistake. I did it on purpose. I knew it was wrong and I did it anyway. And, and I wondered, does God want to help somebody like that? Does God want to help somebody who purposely, willingly, blatantly turned their back on him and said, forget you, God? And so it's a personal message to me. And I don't know if it's personal to you, but I, I, if you've ever felt that, like if, does God really want to help me? Or have I just made him too mad after all the, the trouble I've caused him? And, and so if you do, I, I identify this, so if you do, maybe it'll help you too. But this is the first story of Jesus actually healing somebody. I mean, we know he's been doing it, but this is the first time that Jesus comes in contact with somebody that, that he can help like this. And, and he says, yeah, I'm, I'm willing. I'll do it. And so we can tell, like just from a surface reading, that Jesus is a great guy. He's somebody who, who can do amazing miracles. He can heal people of their diseases. And, and he's, he's compassionate. He's willing to reach out to this man who's, who's got this problem that he, that he can't do anything with. He, he, and he's considered, the, the, the wild thing is he's considered untouchable. When you have a skin disease, you're unclean. And nobody wants to touch that. Nobody wants to be, be made unclean. Not even that they're worried that they might catch the skin disease, but that ceremonially, if I, if I touch this guy, then 
ceremonially I'm unclean and I can't participate in the in the worship at the temple. And so you wonder, I mean, if you stop and think about it, you wonder who was the last person to touch this guy? How long has he gone on with this, whatever he's suffering with, and nobody's willing to touch him? He's, he, nobody wants to shake his hand. Nobody wants to give him a hug. How long has he gone around untouchable, looked on by the rest of society as unclean and unapproachable? I mean, that would be terrible to think about, that nobody's willing to touch you because you're, you're treated as somebody that's dirty and gross. And, 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 and so you wonder, well, why did Matthew, because there's lots of stories that Matthew could have picked up from, I'm sure, why did Matthew pick, after he's coming down from the, the Sermon on the Mount, to go right into dealing with this guy who had leprosy? I don't, I don't know if it happened right after. I'm, I'm guessing Matthew picked this story purposely, where, you know, wherever, however long it was after Jesus came down. He picked this story and put it there with a reason. And if you grew up in Jesus' culture, I think it has to do with the fact that this guy was unclean. And, it, and this, if you... I mean, if you lived in that time and that part of the, you know, the, with the Hebrews, you would totally understand what was going on. That this man, you don't touch this guy. You don't go close to him. You don't want to make yourself unclean because then you can't go to the temple. You can't participate in worship. You're ceremony unclean. And so it, the, the Jews would totally get this, reading this, this story. And, and it's supposed to, and, and as we'll go through it, you'll see how it, it would break all their categories. It would just turn their vision of, of how society was supposed to work upside down. And it comes down to that word, clean. Because he doesn't ask for healing even. He doesn't say, Jesus, will you heal me? He says, Jesus, will you make me clean? And he's not dirty. It's not like he you know, can't wash himself or take a bath. He's talking about this ceremonial problem that he's got because of his skin disease. It's not so much that he's worried about the skin disease. He's worried that he can't be a part of the community. He can't be a part of worship at the temple. He's cut off because of this problem and there's nothing he can do about it. He can't just heal himself and so he's saying, Jesus, can you make me clean so that I can rejoin my family, so I can rejoin my brothers and sisters in, in the community and, and be feel like I'm part of the group again. And, and this goes, I mean, I guess it goes all the way back to Genesis when you know, God created a, a, a perfect world and, and the, Adam and Eve had the Garden of Eden and everything was great and there was no sin and no death and no suffering. And, and of course, they screwed up and they, they sinned and they got kicked out. And... Everybody went bad eventually down through the generations until the, basically the whole world was evil except for God found Noah was the one guy who seemed to stood out. So there was the flood that wiped out every living thing except for Noah and his family. And then from Noah, they tried it again and, and there was lots of problems. The Tower of Babel where, where everybody seemed to turn bad. And, and we get down to the point of Abraham and God sees Abraham and he says, this is a good guy. I can work with this guy. And he calls him out of, out of where he's living and he says, I want you to, to go where I'm sending you. And Abraham obeys. He says, alright, I'll trust you, God. And he says, out of you, I'm going to make a nation. I'm going to make many nations. And out of Abraham, we get Isaac and Jacob and, and so the nation of Israel comes out of Abraham. And they don't do so hot. They, 
God sets them apart and He says, I want you to be My people. I want you to... I want to actually come and live among you. I want to make My dwelling place with you. You'll be My people. I'll live with you. And, it'll, and out of that will come blessing. Because God's really, He wants to restore the world eventually. His plan is to make it like Eden again. And, and there will be His presence living in the world among us. And, it'll, and things will be restored so it's perfect again. And there's no death and there's no suffering. And that's the picture that the Bible paints. And that's what the Jews are looking forward to. That someday, God's going to restore everything. He's going to fix it all. And so He says, I want to make My, my abode with you. And He says, in order to do that, you're going to have to make some special preparations. And he gives them instructions to build the tabernacle. And he says it needs to be, according to all these directions, to give them the sizes and the colors and the, the materials and the, the tools and things that are going to be in there. And this place is going to be a special place, a, a holy place where God's presence will come and be amongst His people. And everything has to be perfect around it. And, and all the people have to live a certain way. He lays down rules for the community and says, I want you to live according to the way I tell you to live. Because if you can't be holy, I can't live among you. And so it's like the whole community has to live a certain way and then he's got to have this special place right in the middle of him that's separated from everything else. And the the closer you get in, like there's the one walls that separate the courtyard and then there's the walls in the actual tabernacle itself. And then you go even deeper in the tabernacle and it's like the closer you get, the more holy it is. And the more perfect and pure and clean it has to be in order for God to live among His people. Because He's holy. And this comes out of Leviticus. When He says, I'm making this deal with you, Leviticus 11.44, He says, For I am the Lord your God, and you are to sanctify yourselves and be holy because I am holy. You must not defile yourselves by any of the swarmings that, that creep on the ground, for I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God, and you are to be holy because I am holy. And I don't know if you've ever wondered what the word holy means. A lot of times in, you know, in, in our culture, we tend to think of holy as being morally good, morally pure and clean. Like you, you make the right decision. You do things that are good. You don't do things that are evil. That's how we think of holy. And that's, that's part of it. The word out of the Hebrew where God says this is kadosh. is the Hebrew word. Kadosh is holy. And the basic meaning of it is to be different. To be special. To be unique. Not special as in everybody's special in their own way. But special as in you're not like other people that there's something different, something you're one of a kind. And so God says, I am absolutely unique and different and special and set apart, and I want my people to be the same way. And, you, you know, if you've got a, a, a... We've all had special things in our houses, something that you set apart. This is special, and I want to take good care of it. And that's the idea. It's a holy thing. And that's the basic meaning of the word. And it's the opposite of unclean. So you've got kadosh is clean and protected and, and set apart and preserved. And then you've got unclean. And you don't want to get anything unclean in it because you don't want to contaminate it, right? If you just mop the kitchen floor, you, the kids aren't allowed to come in. You stay out of this room. I just cleaned this floor. 
because you don't want to contaminate that floor with your dirty shoes. And, and so God is saying, I am holy and I want the space around me in this tabernacle to be kept holy. You're not allowed to contaminate it with uncleanness. And he set up all these rules for the people and for the priests and how they're, they're, they're washings and their they're uniforms and how they're supposed to go through sacrifices and anointing and that kind of stuff. And then all the people, even the ones that aren't allowed to come into the tent, even the people that live outside, I want you to be holy. And he lays out all these rules about how they're supposed to live and what you can wear and how you cut your hair and what you're allowed to eat and what you're not allowed to eat and how you're supposed to live your lives. Everything about you is going to be different. And I want you to live this ceremonially clean life. And I want the rest of the world to look at you and see that you're different. I want you to stick out like sore thumbs. And when the world sees you, they see there's you're weird. You're different. And, and when you do that, I will bless you. If you live this way, I'll take care of you. You just make sure you obey me and follow all these commands and these rules and regulations I've given you, and I'll take care of you. And you be holy because I am holy. And that's how the world will recognize that you're my people. It reminds me of, uh, speaking of, of holy, a time when I was dragged into a room by several people who were wearing masks and they made me take my clothes off and they stabbed me in the belly four times. And I, I don't remember it all because I passed out, but I know that they took my money. And the bright side is I haven't had any problems with my gallbladder since then. But uh, how many of you ever visited a hospital before? <laughs> probably just about everybody's been to a hospital. If you haven't been there for yourself, you've probably seen somebody else who's, who's been suffering or, or sick. And How many people have ever been in surgery before? A lot of you. Okay, so most of you know that you've got to go through all sorts of stuff to go through surgery. And I don't know what it was like when you, but when I had to go for my surgery... Like the night before, I had to shower, and then they gave me these special wipes that I had to like wipe my whole body down as like this, this cleansing, protective coating that's supposed to keep the germs from sticking to you, I guess. And then the next day, when you you're not supposed to shower again because this this coating that you wipe on is supposed to protect you. And then you go again in the hospital and you re- reapply this stuff with these special wipes they have. And then who who is allowed in the surgery in the operating room besides the patient? Is any, can anybody go in there? No, there's just one specific group. There's special doctors and nurses and specialists and who, who are allowed in there, but only when they go through certain rituals and ceremony that they're supposed to complete before they go in that room. And they have to wash their hands a certain way and use a certain kind of cleanser. And, and if you ever watch on TV, they wash their hands and they pick them up like this and they walk in the room like that. You don't hold your hands like that because you might get stuff that drips down into your fingers you know, dirt from your elbow, and you don't want that. So you want the water to drip down so you're perfectly clean, and then they go into the gloves with the, with the suit. Like, they can't wear their street clothes in there. You have to change out of your, your own clothes. You're not allowed to bring, to walk with your house, your, your shoes from the street, and bring that dirt into the operating room. It must be kept perfect and pure and clean and holy. That's what it's like. That's the, the operating room is the holy place of the hospital. Like, the hospital is holy, because they want to keep it clean and, and make sure that you don't spread diseases, but then the operating room is like the most holy place. And everybody who goes in there has to go through this procedure, even the patient. 
and the doctors and the nurses, and they have to wear the masks, and they've got their, their, their uniform, their priestly garments, and their rituals, the cleansing rituals that they go through. And so when you think about the tabernacle, you can think about an operating room, that you have to keep this place clean, keep it holy, set apart, special, different. And, and it's only got one purpose. You don't use the operating room for anything else because you want to make sure it's, it's pure. The tools, everything that goes in there has to be cleansed and, and sterilized and, and, or brand new, fresh, sealed in a package sort of thing. And, and so there's the one purpose for the room and, and you, could, you have to go through lot, years of training to be able to get in there and participate in the, in the things that go on in there. And there are lots of things that can contaminate it that you don't want in there. You don't want to defile the operating room because you don't want to get germs inside your body when they cut you open and cause an infection and, and serious problems. So if you've got a runny nose, you, you don't operate. If, you've got, you know, if you step in something, you don't wear those shoes in the, in the operating room. So it's, it's, it sounds like what the priests had to do to me. I mean, it's kind of that same idea. If you want to think about the word holy in a Jewish sense, think of it kind of like that. Yeah, it deals with morality, but it's not just morality. It's a sense of purity and cleanliness and, and keeping things set apart and, and protected. So God is holy because He is absolutely unique and different and set apart. There is no one like Him. There is nothing like God. He is the Creator of the universe. He's the Creator of life. No one else can do that. Only God. He's the author of, of everything that's good and wise and beautiful and just and pure. That stuff comes from God. He's the source of it. And without Him, it wouldn't exist. He is the only one who can make this kind of stuff possible. So when, he, when God, when this holy universe-creating God decides to come and live among His people, He tells them, you must make a holy place for Me. And you must live holy lives because otherwise I can't be among you. You have to be holy for Me to be there. And He lays out all these procedures for them to follow and picks a special group of people who will work inside His holy place. And, and, and so everyone who wants to be a part of the community that's connected to God, who wants to be part of His people, they are called to obey all the laws, the rules and regulations that He's laid out so that they remain holy because God is holy. And anything or anyone who is unclean must be kept separate so that that doesn't contaminate God's holiness. And and defile it. And Numbers 5 kind of tells us a little about, about um, dealing with lepers and things like that. In Numbers 5, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Command the Israelites to expel from the camp every leper, so anyone with a skin disease, everyone who has a discharge, and here they're talking about sexual discharges, and whoever becomes defiled by a corpse. So if you touch a dead body, you're ceremonially unclean and you have to go outside from the people. So you must expel both men and women. You must put them outside the camp so that they will not defile the camps among which I live. So the Israelites did so and expelled them outside the camp as the Lord had spoken to Moses. So the Israelites did. So to be unclean is like back in the days before people knew about germs and when you know doctors would, they would learn from cadavers. They would study dead bodies to 
kind of get their anatomy right. And then without wearing gloves or washing their hands, they would go and deliver babies. And mothers would die because of sepsis, because they didn't know that they were carrying germs from the dead body into the operating rooms and killing people accidentally, but they were, they were killing people with germs. And so that's, we don't want that to happen. So God is saying you can't bring the unclean and contaminate what is holy, what is right. Kind of like you know, grade school girls. You don't want to touch them because they've got cooties. And, and that same idea. And, and, you, and if you are unclean, you cannot go into God's holy presence. You can't even go into the camp. And so if you touch a corpse, that makes you ceremonially unclean. You're not evil. I mean, it's not an evil thing. If, you, if someone in your family dies and you want to bury them, I mean, you have to. But you, that makes you ceremonially unclean and you have to go outside the camp until you go through the ritual process of making yourself clean again to be in the camp. If you have a skin disease, well, there's not much you can do about that. You're not evil because of that, but you are ceremonially unclean. So you have to stay outside the camp until hopefully your skin disease goes away or you're healed. And, and so, and I said leprosy is a general term. So it wasn't just the specific leprosy, but any special, you know, it lays out what kind of skin ailments you're allowed to have. In Leviticus, everybody's favorite book in Leviticus, it tells you, you know, if your skin looks like this, that's okay. But if your skin looks like that, nope, you got to be, you're, you're out of the group. So. And then if you have a sexual discharge, and again, it's not about evil, like the, 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 you know, the sexual fluids in the Bible are like fluids that make life. And that's why they're important. It's, com- it's almost like the, the reproductive fluids are, are, are kind of holy in their own sense. They're so special that they shouldn't be touched. And if they're used to reproduce, well, that's great. Like if a man and a woman combine these fluids, there's this mystical thing that happens and, and babies are born. But if those fluids are coming out when they're not supposed to be, that's a, that's a problem. And that's like a, this life fluid is coming out and that's not right when it's not used to, to reproduce. And, and so if that's happening, if you've got this problem with your body and these discharges are coming out, then you are unclean too and I don't want you to be in the camp. And so those are the three kind of basic requirements touching a corpse, the discharges, and skin diseases. And if you've got the, any of those issues, you're not allowed to be part of the camp until the issue is dealt with and you go through the ceremonial process of becoming clean again so that you can once again re-enter the camp and be part of the people. And, and so it, being unclean, it's almost like a reminder of death. You know, either you, you touch the dead body or your, your skin is not doing right, or you're leaking these fluids of life. And, and so it's this, you, you don't want to bring death into the place where of, of life. And, and, it's, and it, like I said, it's not wrong. It's not like you're being evil or immoral because you have these problems. Because you know, everybody loses people, and you, if you're part of the funeral service, you're going to touch a dead body once in, you know, once in a while. So you just got to go through the process again of remaking yourself clean. And... And the worst problem, of course, is for somebody who had a chronic health problem that they couldn't do anything about. If you've got a skin disease and there's no cure for it, which there weren't a whole lot of cures back in those days, like we have these days, there's nothing you can do to change it. And so you've got to spend however long, maybe your whole life, living outside of the, the camp and you're not allowed to ever come into the temple and make sacrifices and take part in worship and, and 
do the things that everybody else did to you know, deal with their, their sin or their uncleanness. So when you read the, the, the word holy in the Bible, the kadosh, don't think of people who are just immoral. Think of somebody who, like, like the word holy, it does deal with morality. And you know, when we think of righteousness, we're thinking of people who make good choices and not do evil things. But remember, we're, th- we're thinking of somebody who, who has been made set apart. They're purified, they're sanctified, they're set apart to be different, and so they're, they're not like the rest of the world. And God says that in Leviticus 20, 26, you must be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy, and I have set you apart from the other peoples to be mine. So out of all the world, I've picked you to be my holy group, and you need to live according to the regulations that I've set so that you can be different and that you stick out. And when people see you, they say, your life is way different than ours. And if you do that, and I will bless you, not not only that, I'll bless you, I will protect you from your enemies, nobody will be able to defeat you, you you won't have to worry about your food, I will make sure your crops are plentiful and your, your flocks grow, you'll have all the food you need, you'll have all the resources you need, you won't have to worry about your enemies attacking you, I will be your protector. I will be your provider. I will be your God and you will be my people. And all you got to do is follow these regulations to keep yourselves holy because I'm holy and I will take care of all the rest. So that's what God is saying. You live this different life and then when the rest of the world sees you, I'm going to take you into the promised land and that's a, that's a major crossroads. There's three continents. are gonna, Every time they go to a different place, they have to travel through your land and they're going to come and they're going to see you living so differently and they're going to say why are you all so strange and you'll say because we're god's people and look how he's blessed us and taken care of us because we live this life he's called us to live and they'll say how can can i get in on that can i is there a way that i can be blessed by god too and they'll say yeah you just obey god do what he tells you to do and he'll bless you too and you will be a blessing to the whole rest of the world because i will be a blessing to you and so all and God that's what God told Abraham I will bless all the nations through you. And so 5 centuries later along comes Isaiah the prophet. And in Isaiah chapter 6 it starts off like this In the year of King Uzziah's death I saw the sovereign master seated on a high elevated throne and the hem of his robe filled the temple and seraphs stood over him each had six wings with two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and they used the remaining two to fly. And they called out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord who commands armies. His majestic splendor fills the entire earth. And the sound of their voices shook the door frames, and the temple was filled with smoke. And so Isaiah's having this vision. You know, Isaiah wasn't a priest, so he would never go into the, like, the tabernacle temple that they built. But he's having this vision of like the, the heavenly temple. And, and so the, the temple that the people built was supposed to kind of be this overlap where heaven and earth meet, where God comes and dwells amongst his people. And so Isaiah is kind of like transported into this place where he can actually see the heavenly view. And he sees the, the throne of God and God sitting there and these, these angels, these seraphim. And when you think of... When we think of angels, we think of people with wings dressed in white robes, and that's not at all what they look like. Anytime you hear 
angel, like an angel messenger might be a human, but they never have wings. Any winged creature is some sort of animal. And the seraphs, the, the word seraph means snake. So it's like these flying snake creatures. I have no idea what they looked like, but they had six, six, I imagine maybe like dragons of some sort. Big, powerful creatures with six wings, but they also have feet. So a, a, when I think a snake with feet, I think like a dragon. I don't know. But anyway, these creatures who when they speak, they shook things. And there's smoke, and maybe it's because there's smoke coming out of their nostrils. I don't know. But the, these creatures are flying around, and they're singing, holy, holy. They're saying, kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Unique, special, set apart, holy is our God. And how does Isaiah respond? In verse 5, he says, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips. I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord who commands armies. And Isaiah isn't talking about being ceremonially unclean here, because your lips can't be unclean. Like his, he was talking about morality. He's got like I, my mor, my moral. I have sinned. Like I have thought things and said things that I know I shouldn't have said, and and I'm unqualified to be in God's presence. I am not holy. I am not clean. I'm, and I'm looking at God here, and 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 I know that my my thoughts and my words are, are wrong. And and the people that I live around. With. They do the same thing. My people have been unclean and, and thought and acted the same way. And there are several papal, um, places in the Bible where it tells us how destructive a tongue can be. That you can use your tongue for great goods, but you can use your tongue for great evil too. And out of, the, out of your mouth, it comes from your heart, right? And so that's what Isaiah is worried about. I have, I have not thought right and I have not spoken right and, and I am not worthy to be in God's presence. And and he's probably thinking of Moses when, when Moses met with God on the mountain and he wanted to see God. Can I, can I look at you, God? And God said, you can't look at me because of, I am too holy. If you look at my face, you'll die because I am so holy, I am so glorious that just to see my face, your mortal body will perish because of that. And so Isaiah's thinking of that. I have seen God with my own eyes and I am unworthy, I am unclean, and I'm about to die. I cannot survive this day. That's what Isaiah is thinking. And, but then in verse 6, it says, one of those seraphs, one of those big snake-winged creatures, came, and it says he flew towards me. These creatures that spoke and shook the door frames. And so he's got to be freaking out a little bit. And in his hand was a hot coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. And if you know, so the... the the earthly temple is supposed to be kind of a reproduction of the hem- heavenly temple. And inside the holy place, there's the, the, the candle, the, the lampstands with the, the, the lamps on them. And then there's the table with the showbread. And then there's the little miniature altar with hot coals and incense that burns on it. 24 hours a day, they always keep the incense burning. And so the, seraph, the seraphim grabs one of these hot coals out of the altar and flies towards Isaiah with it. And Isaiah's probably thinking, I'm going to be burned to death here. This is how I go out, that I'm going to be destroyed by this hot coal. And in, in verse 7 it says, the angel had touched my mouth with it, with the hot coal, and said, look, this coal has touched your lips. 
your evil is removed and your sin is forgiven. Which turns everything upside down. Because what happened is the, is the opposite of what Isaiah is expect, expecting. He says, woe is me, I'm about to die. He was thinking that his being unclean was a contamination in God's presence and it needed to be wiped out and cleansed and it, because in, in God's holy presence, he's, he's got to be destroyed. And instead, God's holiness overpowers the sin. Instead of his uncleanness contaminating God's holy presence, God's holy presence makes him clean. And he is purified by God's fire. Like, like purifying surgical instruments with heat. He, he is, Isaiah is made clean. And his sins are forgiven. And it's got to be blowing Isaiah's mind because he thought he was just going to die. And, and he knows that's not the way it works back home in the temple on earth. If you come in, that's a, we're not allowed to go in. You can't bring unclean things in there because you've you got to destroy it. If, you, if a pot is touched by the wrong thing, you smash the pot. And yet he's been made clean. And he's, I mean, it's exciting. It's overjoyed. He's nervous. And, it's, and this picture is like a glimpse of the gospel. God wants to bring new life to the world. He wants to to purify people of their sin and make them holy. He wants to overcome death by His mighty power. Sin kills people and He wants to restore them and make them new again. And Isaiah has a taste of that. Literally. (laughs) And he gets that picture. And centuries later, Jesus comes along and Jesus is called Emmanuel. Is God with us? And God's holy presence is once again, he's not some, a tabernacle, but he's, he's a living body. And so God's presence is a, as a human being is walking around with living among his people. And Matthew was telling us right off the, in the beginning here that Jesus, off his mountaintop experience, came down from the mountain and he, and he came to somebody who is unclean. And somebody who can't do anything about it because they've got this skin disease and as long as they have the skin disease, disease, they will remain unclean. And he's cut off from the temple and he's cut off from the community because of his, his uncleanness. And Matthew 8 says, I'll, I'll start at the Scripture again, it says, um, after Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him and a leper approached and bowed low before him saying, Lord, if you are willing you can make me clean. Now, if Jesus is like everybody else, he's just going to give this guy a wide berth and go around him because the last thing you want to do is touch this guy who's unclean and make yourself unclean and be, un- be contaminated, and then they'd both be unclean. And instead, Jesus, he lets him come. He goes right up to him. He's not scared of touching this guy. He's not threatened by the fact that this man has a, a skin disease that, that will make... Jesus unclean, and as a matter of fact, that's the way Jesus is with with everybody. And it doesn't matter what their problem is, whether they've got a ceremonial uncleanness or or a righteous uncleanness. If they have sinned and and done things that they know were wrong, he touches people. He interacts with them. He shows them compassion and love and kindness. And the crazy thing about it is when Jesus is amongst all these sinners and ceremonially unclean people, Instead of being contaminated by their uncleanness, Jesus becomes like that hot coal off the altar. And if 
his touch comes to you, you're purified and you're made clean and your, your sins are forgiven, Jesus said to so many people. And in verse 3 it says, he stretched out his hand and touched the man saying, I am willing, be clean. And immediately it says the leprosy was cleansed and then Jesus said to him, see that you do not speak to anyone because I'd like to keep my ministry under wraps for now, but I want you to go and show yourself to a priest and bring the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So go through the process. You're clean now. Your skin disease is gone. Now go through the process of becoming ceremonially unclean so you can once again rejoin the community and be a part of the, the people and be a part of the worship that you so much have, have missed out for, for so long. And he gets to be a part of the, the community again. He gets to worship once again. I mean, you've got to imagine, this guy's got to be super excited that now I can go back and I can, I can hug my family again and not worry about contaminating them. I can shake my friend's hands and, and be in the temple and worship God for this great thing he's done for me. So what does this mean for you and me? Who here has ever sinned before? Everybody's hand should be up. We've all done wrong. We've chosen to do what we know we shouldn't do. We've turned our backs on God. I don't think sin is ever a mistake. In the Old Testament, you know, when you dealt with like ceremonial laws, you could accidentally touch a dead body that you didn't brush up against something. You know, there were things that you could do by accident. But when you choose today to lie, to cheat, to steal, I don't think it's ever an accident. We make a moral decision to deny God, to say, I'm not going to do it your way. And when we sin, it's a purposeful choice. And how does it make you feel after you've done it? If you haven't seared your conscience, hopefully it makes you feel terrible. And you feel bad about it. And you feel dirty and shameful and unclean. Like you ought to feel guilty. And you know God must be disappointed with you because you, do, you did what you know you shouldn't have done. You turned your back on God. And, and, and you don't... A lot of times you don't want anybody else to find out about it. You don't want to go and share this with your friends. Look how I disappointed God and did this evil. And, and a lot of people, that's where they give up. They, they, you know, I've done this so much rotten stuff and I don't want to talk about it. And, and I, so they just kind of drift away from the community on their own. And they stop coming to church. They stop caring about God. And that's what bothers me most when people say, well, I'm only human and everybody screws up, and nobody's perfect, and we all make mistakes, and I'm just a no-good sinner, and there's nothing I can do to change it. Because it, it kind of encourages people to give up. Well, what should, why should I bother? Why should I even try? I've made so many stupid mistakes, and there's nothing I can do about it. And, it, and I feel like it just it, it has this mindset of failure, and, and, and why bother? I give up. And, and I've been there. I know what that's like. I've felt that. And I feel like God could never love me again. I mean, I've done so much to, to hurt him. Why would he want to? And I've been overwhelmed by those feelings. And, and I'm such a royal screw-up. But why would God want to even come close to me? I am so unclean that God's holiness, that's the last thing. He wouldn't want to touch me with a 10-foot pole. Because I, and, and I think so many of us go on to think... You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm get, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've failed and I've failed. And, and so they walk away from God. They walk away from the church and they're no longer part of the community. They've made that decision because of their guilt and their shame. And they think that God's holiness wouldn't want to touch them. Wouldn't want to come close to them. 
and loving. So they disconnect. But is that the story of the gospel? That God doesn't want to touch us? Is God threatened or intimidated by anybody's sin? Is God scared of your sin? Of course not. What did God do with Isaiah? He touched him. What did, what did God in the flesh, what did Jesus do with the man who had leprosy? The woman with the issue of blood, with the, with his, the dead little girl that he went to help, with all the sinners and the unclean people and the prostitutes and the tax collectors. Did Jesus say, I'm not touching that. That's dirty. That's gross. That's unclean. No, he came to them and he touched them in compassion and love and a desire to make them clean again and make them holy and give them new life. That's what the gospel is about. Yes, of course I'm willing. I want to touch you. I want to renew your life. I want to forgive your sins. I want to give you my blessings. I want you to live with me and I want to live with you. The the unclean man doesn't doubt Jesus' power. I don't think I've ever doubted God's power or his ability to do whatever he wants and forgive sins. The guy knows, of course Jesus can heal me. The question is, does he want to? Does he want to touch this unclean leper that I am? Does Jesus want to heal you and me? Well, we've got it right in the book here. Of course he does. Does he want to purify our hearts and our minds and make us new creations? Of course he does. And don't let yourselves think otherwise. That's why Jesus came into the world, to seek and to save the lost. For all of us who have purposely turned our backs on him and and made choices we knew we shouldn't have made, God wants to make you new and give you new life and restore you to his presence and have a relationship. And if, you're, and if you want Him, yes, He is willing to make you clean too. In Psalm 51.10, I'll end with this verse. Create, I, I love to, to kind of repeat this every once in a while as my own prayer. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a resolute spirit within me. Do not reject me. Do not take Your Holy Spirit away from me. Let me again experience the joy of Your deliverance. Sustain me by giving me the desire to obey. Do you want to be purified today? Ask Jesus to make you clean. He is willing. He is able. And all you have to do is say, help me God. And accept that wonderful love. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are you're so good. And you are so holy and powerful and glorious that you, you seem unapproachable. You are unapproachable. If we, if we, we can't do it on our own, but because of your Son and because of the sacrifice He made and because of Him coming back to life again, we know that Jesus has made the unapproachable approachable. And because of His kindness, we could be made clean again and holy and that you want and are willing to and are able to forgive our sins and make us new and give us new life. So Lord, I pray that no one leaves here unclean. I pray that everyone will turn to you and say, God, please heal me and help me to to be a holy person. Help me to live my life for you and to know your blessings in my life. Help me to be holy because you're holy so that I can have all those wonderful gifts and blessings that you want to give us all. 
and to have that relationship. And may I share that, that good news of the gospel, of your ability and willingness to heal everybody who will come to you with the rest of the world. In your name we pray, Jesus.